This is Money Wise. Your host is Roman Baczynski, certified financial planner and president of Oakwood Financial Network. Securities and advisory services offered through National Planning Corporation. Member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Oakwood Financial LLC, NPC, and any other named entities are separate and unrelated companies. Information provided is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that have been deemed to be reliable, but its accuracy and completeness are not guaranteed. Indices are unmanaged. And do not allow for direct investment. Past performances cannot guarantee future results. Neither NPC nor Oakwood Financial Network LLC accept any liability for the use of the information discussed. Consult with a qualified financial, legal, tax, or real estate professional prior to taking any action. Stay tuned for an enlightening hour about managing your financial future. Now, here's Roman. Good evening. I'm Roman Baczynski, certified financial planner and your host of MoneyWise this evening. I tell you, I couldn't think of a better place to be than here with you tonight. I'm joined by my dear friend, John McCullough, who needs no introduction. Good to see you, Roman. Uh, a special guest in the audience today with us in the studios is Paul Wakefield from the law firm of Wakefield, Sutherland, and Libera. Paul, hello. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely excited to have you. You know, in the practice of financial planning, there are so many different things that get discussed. Uh, too many topics to cover in an hour-long show, too many topics to cover in an hour-long meeting with a financial planner. But if we were to dissect things and maybe take one topic tonight that we're quite passionate about, it's estate planning. Because this is something that affects everybody. It's not just for those that, that have something to lose, but it, it's something that we all need to keep in mind because it affects not just our assets, but our well-being, who's to take care of us, how we want things handled in life. And there's this, this topic goes on and on and on from the most basic to the most complex. And we really want to dedicate most of this hour this evening um, asking Paul questions that might be more complicated uh, and discussing how estate planning fits into the overall process of your your well-being and your financial needs. So with that, um, perhaps we can kick things off by uh, welcoming Paul once again, John, and um, uh, using his knowledge and bouncing questions off of him that you and I find important, our audience may find important. Please call in if you have the opportunity to do so because um, we're here for you. That's the point of the show. And, and, and I have a question, and it's probably um, not the smartest question you've ever been asked. But, Paul, when, when we start talking about trusts and this kind of thing, do we have to be talking Prince-style estates where they've got $300 million, it could morph to $600 million, uh, who knows? Or, or is this something that uh, the person who's maybe got a quarter of a million, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 that they've saved and... Uh, they want to make sure it goes the right places and it doesn't all go to Uncle Sam. Is it something that they should be considering? You know, the the trusts are important for all of us. And, and um, you know, the princes of the world, they, they have to deal with the federal estate tax, which, you know, we can address in a little bit here, Roman. But but the reason that the trusts are important for all of us is because if, if um, we were to become incapacitated, we don't want the limited assets that we may have going to attorney's fees and court costs when it can be easily avoided. And then likewise, if we were to pass away, there's no reason to have our assets frozen and then require a court system to determine for us where our things should go, how they should go there, and when they should go. We can avoid 
all those costly delays and, and fees and expenses. And on top of that, we can keep our things private. You know, it's a little funny that Prince hadn't done any planning because, number one, you'd think someone like him was very, probably very private. You'd think he'd want his financial affairs kept private after he's gone. And then uh, whether it's you or I with our uh, $5,000 checking account or, or Prince who probably had a $5 million checking account, if, if you are to pass away and you have assets in your name alone, they're frozen. You, you've got to go through a court process to unfreeze those accounts, and that's very costly. A typical probate, um, let's say you have a $100,000 estate, you're probably looking at a year and a half to two years in court if things go well. If you have kids that are underage, that's going to tie up the money till they're 18. Um, and then, heaven forbid, they hit 18 and there's a lot of money available, They're going it's going to be distributed to them outright. And now we've got children who are probably not listening to financial programs. <laughs> you know what's <laughs> funny about that, Paul, is that um, if we start with the most basic concept of, of financial planning and estate planning, even before we get into legal documents such as wills and trusts, one of the first and most basic steps that we look at is how are you registering your assets, uh, whether it be a savings account, a checking account, a, a mutual fund, a portfolio. There are certain basic things that can be done prior to even setting up a will or a trust that will help along the way. For example, we know that uh, an account held in your own name with no beneficiaries tied to it is going to go through probate without a trust or a will. Even with a will, it's going to go through probate. It's just going to speed up the process. Joint ownership may have some of its benefits going to a survivor, but then it also has some of its problems, which I'm sure we'll talk about just as well tonight. The, the, the fact that you mentioned somebody having a checking account with no other registration on it, something as simple as a TOD, a transfer on death instruction that takes a few minutes with a teller to establish is better than having nothing in place. I know that would work well for death, not necessarily incapacity, but Correct. at least it's something in the step of the right direction. Naming beneficiaries on your accounts whenever you can. Naming contingent beneficiaries. Knowing who these beneficiaries are over time. Updating these documents. It's all part of the planning process. And yeah, it takes a little bit of time, but it can certainly save hours and hours, if not months or years of headaches down the road. Absolutely. Now, when you start talking about trusts and naming contingent beneficiaries and things like that, you normally will lose some people because they think, oh, it's a trust. I, I, why would I ever want to do that? Sure. Why uh, I've only got X amount of dollars and, and what, what would, would cost me more to get the trust than I, than I got? But that isn't the case. Well, no, you know, if we take a step back, John, take, for example, anybody that, that is working uh, and gainfully employed and perhaps have a, has a retirement account set up through their employer. No trust needed, but you have an account that allows you to name a beneficiary. So you'll most likely name your primary beneficiary if you're married as your spouse. Uh, number one, you have to under ERISA law in a 401k, a spouse is the beneficiary there. But then you have also the right to name what we call a backup beneficiary, a contingent. So if you and your spouse are traveling and had an accident together, who's this to go to? That backup beneficiary. Simple as that. Who do you want this to go to if you pass away? What if that person isn't here or passes away with you? Then who does it go to? Simple. 
Taking it a step further is when we get involved with wills and trusts on documents that we don't have the ability to uh, name a beneficiary on. Would you say that's correct, Paul? That's true. Um, usually we're seeing uh, the types of assets we typically see go through trusts are your checking and savings accounts, your CDs, your bonds, your stocks, um, ETFs. Um, you know, for me personally, I've got uh, a spouse and kids and one of my kids is still under age 18 and my other two are still fairly young. And uh, technically I could name a beneficiary, my wife first and my kids second, but my youngest is under 18. You know, she's got two years to go. If something something happens to my wife and I today, I don't want that money tied up in the court for two years. So even though I had a beneficiary, the, the, the company can't release those funds until she's considered of majority, which in Michigan is 18. And then on top of that, even if they were all 18, in my particular documents, I have it set up for so that they would receive money for their health, education, maintenance, and support in the trustee's discretion, who's a family member, and then they would receive... Uh, increments of one-third at 30, 35, and 40. So the money's spread out. And in, in, in the event of one of my kids getting divorced, if they were to get sued, if they had substance abuse problems, any of these types of issues that come up would allow my trustee to hold the money back. So even if my kids have hit those ages, as long as it's in my trust, it's protected them from their creditors or their inability to manage their funds or their disability. So... You know, and, and with beneficiary designations, usually, as Roman was bringing up, 401ks, IRAs, and I know Roman's talked about this over and over again, but it's good to stress. Usually, we don't like to run those types of funds through a trust as a beneficiary because there's some income tax disadvantages in certain cases. But uh, when you have minor children or you have a disabled child or a beneficiary who has maybe had some substance abuse issues and, you know, we don't want to test that in the future... You know, we, we, we even will name a trust as a beneficiary on those types yeah. of things. It, it, it's a pecking order. You have to look at what is most important. While as a planner, I'm looking for tax efficiency. If there's something that's even more important, like uh, we know that if we allow Joey to have all this money at once, this could create a problem, that trust is going to supersede my tax angle on, an, on a plan and say that is more important that we control those assets distribution over time rather than worry about paying maybe a little bit more in taxes by allowing um, 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 the, the trust to be the beneficiary. And when when you have somebody that takes care of that trust for you, what do you, what is that person called? Well, in my trust, I'm in charge of everything, and I'm called the initial trustee. And then uh, my backup, which is actually my wife, she's considered the successor trustee. And then uh, we have additional successor trustees after her. So usually we encourage people to name, you know, two or three backups. If you have a older trustees, you might want to name some younger trustees as backups. Um, for, for people who have kids that are maybe in their 20s, you know, I would probably still name a brother or sister, someone a little bit older, a little wiser to restrict my kids. But if all my kids are over 18, I might name my kids as a backup. So that way, as my uh, children get older, if I were to pass away and they're in their, say, you know, mid to late 30s, maybe the brother or sister will resign and then my kids would step into their shoes right off the bat so we don't have to go back to the attorney and amend the documents. And Paul, Paul really said a mouthful there because you, you asked a simple question, John. The trust, if you think of it, it's a very, it's a unique document that you create 
but you and your trust are one and the same while you're here. So P Paul's first comment was, he's the trustee on his trust. All it means is any account he sets up, he's able to use that money as if it was his own because it is his own. Now, if he's not here, person B, next in line, the successor trustee steps in and says, this is, Paul, this is what Paul wanted me to do with these assets. If that person isn't around, the next trustee steps in and takes over. So he's named people in line to go ahead and implement his plan from beyond. That's I, what a trust does. In the case of successive people that, that, that you've named, if somebody in that progression of, of people became incompetent, would they automatically be bypassed or would there is, is there something in there that, that... Well, that's where the beauty of drafting comes in because... Uh, you know, I've, I've seen trusts that were one page long, believe it or not. Our table of contents is four pages long. So so when we're drafting these documents, we have a million different options. So so when, when you have, you know, a succession of, say, four trustees and one's disabled, some documents are going to say, well, you need two doctors to sign off to prove they're disabled, and then we'll go to the next person. So there's, you know, some interaction there with the outsiders. You might have another document that says, nope. Uh, I'm going to have my, my, if I'm disabled, my wife and my kids by majority vote, they can decide. So that, then now we don't have outsiders involved, but then again, I got to worry about my wife and kids ganging up on me. Or then uh, maybe we might have another document that says it has to be an independent physician and my spouse. So as you get into better and better legal documents, they tend to get longer and maybe even a little more difficult to read. But the reason is we want to build that type of detail in there so it fits each individual person's situation. We don't want to use a template where we cut and paste names in and out of a document and everybody gets the same thing. This brings up the $64 question. If, in fact, I decide to do this and I've done nothing up to this point and I go to Roman and he refers me to you because of, is that how it works? Yeah, what typically happens, John, is in the financial That's not my it, question, by the way. That's, a, that's, is, that's it, the setup. Okay, yes, <laughs> it is how it works. That is how it works. So you would, uh, physically, I would then go see Paul. Yes. Okay. With all the things that you've just mentioned, and you said a four-page table of contents right. and so forth, the first thing that's going through my mind now is, geez, I'm, I'm going to spend the whole day and maybe two with Paul. No, no, we, we do. I've done literally thousands and thousands of trusts. It's all I do every day for over 20 years. And if you were to come in the office real quickly, I'd want to know, are you married or are you single? Were you divorced? Do you have a bunch of kids, no kids, kids from different marriages? Are any of your kids disabled? Are any minors um, and he had substance abuse issues in the past or, you know, no various disabilities. And then what do you want to do with things? Do you want to leave everything to your kids equally? Do you want to leave it uh, all to charity and maybe disinherit your kids? So it's really not, when you do these all the time, you can kind of see almost like a pattern. And then based on what your goals are, it gives us the ability then to make some recommendations on, well, what would be the best way to go? Should we even use a trust? And if we do use a trust, how should it be drafted? And and then we would want a rough idea of what your assets are. You know, is your estate over five and a half million or is it under five and a half million? Most people will never get even close to that. So we're not going to worry about estate taxes. We're going to be talking about how would we structure this 
trust to fit your situation. And we actually, believe it or not, custom draft each of these for each individual person. So virtually every piece of that trust can be modified. Now, when you do them all the time, you, you know what modifica- modifications that need to be made. So it's, it's a lot easier. And, John, here's what's interesting, because you asked the great question. Before I would even send you over to see an estate planning attorney like Paul, we begin the financial planning process. So you've covered so much of this with me already. As a CFP, part of our training is in estate planning just as well. While I don't draft legal documents, we've discussed many of these things which led me to believe that I need to get you in front of an estate planning attorney so that we can now cover these important matters. Now we're maybe in meeting two or three or four of the financial planning process, and I brought to your attention that this is something that's important Here's why it's important. Probably talk to you uh, as to what happens if you don't have a will or if you have a will, if you have a trust or if you don't have a trust during incapacity during your life. And then somewhere in that conversation, you probably would have mentioned to me, yeah, I probably should look into this closer. And that's when I bring you aboard to sit down with Paul and perhaps provide some of the background. The really nice thing about some of my working relationships and the one that I cherish with Paul is that I know that when I allow a client or have a client go and visit with Paul and he walks through this entire process and completes your documents, my clients will say, can you allow Roman in on this conversation because I need him to help me fund this trust, retitle this trust, uh, the assets into it. Paul sends me the affidavit, an email, so I know what needs to be done to help you retitle your assets. And that's why you hired a team of people to do this. You can try it on your own, or you you come and sit down with the professionals that you want to align yourself with, and we take that burden off your shoulders to create the documents that are needed and walk you through this process. If I have, and this is another dumb question that I want you to take it away from, because I'll do this all (laughs) night. The... um, let, let's say I have a, a couple of, I got a, a pen out back. I know a guy who's like this. He raises Dobermans, mm-hmm. and he, he trains them to be nice. Mm-hmm. He breeds them to be nice so that they're not mean dogs. A lot of them are uh, out in the community right now as family dogs. Let's suppose something happens to him. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to set up a trust to take care of the two or three female Dobermans I may have in that cage and the, the one male that I'm using. and, and, and Sure. Can, can you put uh, animals, cars, uh, you name it, uh, into? It, yeah, it depends on the circumstances. Generally speaking, personal possessions, furniture, jewelry, tools, um, we'll usually use a document that assigns your interest in those to the, uh, to the trust. Um, if this is a business that your friend has, um, we'll usually assign that business to the trust, so that wouldn't have to go through probate court. And then uh, for his car, it depends on the circumstances. There's some For some clients, we recommend putting that in their trust. For others, we prefer to leave it out. So there's some other factors that go into making that decision. And then uh, for homes, there's also some neat tricks with that, um, whether it's you know your, your personal residence, a cottage, or, or just some land. And... Um, those sometimes we have those deeded in the trust sometimes they're outside of the trust with the signed deed sometimes we use something called a ladybird deed there's there's a lot of different ways to do it so everybody's unique you know that's i guess the key is there's no template that fits everybody which is why i laugh because people say oh yeah i went to you know this online thing and i got this uh, standard document it was so cheap you know it was 13 dollars and everything's all set 
but my question would be, well, how is it that this company created a document to fit your needs when they had to fit the needs of everyone else out there? You know, the, um, you know, we've got married people, we've got divorced people, we've got transgender people, we've got, you know, gay lesbian marriages, we've got, you know, traditional marriages, we have, um, you know, who, who knows what is it coming up in the future? I'm kind of scared to think about it, but, uh, everybody's different. And, uh, you know, you can't have a document that fits all those situations. Well, we know, we know for a fact now that the CPAs are breathing a sigh of relief as are many others, uh, who are in ancillary industries because Ted Cruz suspended his campaign. <laughs> the IRS lives another day. That's right. And we'll go on. <laughs> so we're going to talk about how the IRS fits into this and how the trust protects it. And then I'm going to turn the questioning over to you so that we get down to some, uh, you know, what, what, what you guys want to talk. I'm finding this fascinating, by the way. And, well, it uh, is because it's an endless topic. There's yeah. just too many things, too many directions we can go. Roman Bachinski, uh, certified financial planner and uh, estate planning attorney, Paul Wakefield. And this is Money Wise here on the Patriot FM 92.7 AM 1400. This is Money Wise with Roman Bachinski, Certified Financial Planner, Special Guest this evening, Paul Wakefield, Estate Planning Attorney. Our telephone number, if you have any questions, if anything that we say sparks a question, feel free to give us a call, 800-923-9385. That's 800-923-WDTK. Roman? Very good. John, I'd like to lead into this next segment by perhaps asking Paul a couple of questions. You know, a lot of times on the show we've had you on, Paul, and we've discussed what is a basic will? What will a trust do for you? And those are very important uh, questions to have. But a lot of times we overlook some of the more complicated issues that arise. So maybe we'll talk about a couple of different scenarios tonight, such as, you know, what happens to that successful individual or perhaps the business owner may not have any heirs. You know, there, there are people in this world that are single or widowed or otherwise maybe never had any children, uh, have amassed quite a bit of money because perhaps they just dove, dove into their careers and did very, very well for themselves. And now they've got these assets and maybe they're charitably inclined. There's a lot they can do. What kind of planning, what do you typically recommend or structure for some of your more complex cases of that nature that, that could be beneficial to get money to, you know, non-family members, charities, organizations, perhaps limit the role of government in that person's estate. Well, you know, we just wrapped one up about a month ago um, that fit that scenario. Um, we had a, a client of ours, a, a single woman. She had her own business, sold the business. Her estate was probably in the $25 million range. And, um, you know, we did a revocable living trust, just like you or I would would use, um, because, of course, she wants to avoid probate court. She wants to spell out who's in charge. She wants to spell out where things go. But she was very, very charitably inclined. And um, she was not real happy with um, some of her uh, family members, you know, no kids, no spouse, but she had some other uh, siblings that had kids. And she wasn't real crazy about what they were doing with their lives. And I think she got the feeling that maybe they were just waiting around for her to pass so they could live a life of luxury and drive Ferraris. So not that there's anything wrong with that, of course. But uh, 
she wasn't about to uh, put all of her life's work into supporting other individuals who weren't willing to put in their their effort. So what she did is uh, we built some special bells and whistles into her trust. She she wasn't real um, keen on setting up a private foundation today, um, which is one of the options she would have, because when you set up a foundation while you're living, uh, there's some expense involved. Of course, she, she could afford it, but there, there's, you know, tax filings that have to be filed every year, and she would have to decide every year how much money she wants to give out, and there's some you know, special rules as to how much you have to give out. And she didn't really want that burden. So what we did is we set up something called a testamentary uh, private foundation inside of her revocable trust. And what that means in plain English is upon her death, her trust is going to leave um, a, kind of a small dollar amount, actually, to each of these family members. I think they're all going to be very upset when they find out what they're getting. And then uh, the the vast majority of her assets are going to fund a foundation that gets created upon her death. And she wanted flexibility. So what we did is we designed it so that there's a, a team of professionals that will manage this foundation. Um, we have a completely eliminated the estate tax for this individual. So even though it's a $25 million estate, and as you probably heard because of Prince and Michael Jackson, there's at the moment there's a 40% federal estate tax. Well, the beauty of this is if you're leaving money to the charity, the IRS can't tax that under the federal estate tax. Zero. So we've eliminated 100% of the estate tax. She's going to be benefiting charity, but she has a very large fear of the charity wasting her dollars. You know, we heard about, well, I won't, maybe I won't name any charities, but, you know, we've heard about some malfeasance with some of the people running these charities. I'll try and be politically correct. And, we don't um, do political. <laughs> so, so what we did is um, by having a team of professionals manage this money, while she's still living, she can constantly change who the charities are going to be on a schedule. She just has to deliver it to each of the individuals involved. And then upon her passing, that, that, that schedule as, as it exists at the time would be followed for distributions. And the beauty of this foundation is it can technically go on in perpetuity. So if we're making distributions to... Um, a particular charity and and their management changes over and we find out that you know the uh, CEO is driving a Rolls Royce on the charity's dollar and you know they're getting paid a half a million dollars a year we'll switch charities and and uh, she's very very happy about this because she's not required to do any heavy lifting at the moment she's not paying excessive accounting fees to uh, keep this foundation going she can change her mind at any time and terminate the whole thing so it will never happen or she could set up one to become active during her lifetime. We've completely eliminated eliminated the IRS, and that 40% that would have gone to Uncle Sam is now going to the charities. And then the advisors that are involved, um, she has professionals involved in her case, but if, if she had so choose, she could have picked family members to run this, and they could have paid themselves a reasonable fee to do so. You know, John, in, in someone's lifetime... We all have passions of for, for, for different things. The shame of not planning. We, we mentioned the Prince situation because it's fresh in our minds. No planning. Those dollars could have gone to so much good use. Perhaps that gentleman had, you know, uh, strong feelings about certain organizations or charities or otherwise. And a little bit of time could have done so much good for those organizations. The lack of planning, um, the benefactors of that, by and large, are uh, Uncle Sam, 
and perhaps some other relatives that perhaps weren't even close with with that gentleman. So it's a shame. A little bit of time can save you a lot of grief uh, and perhaps do a lot of good in this world. Um, and it doesn't cost much. No, no. It's it's um, when you look at the cost benefit, it's it's just shocking to me that people don't go through with this and, and, and everyday people. In fact, even, you know, my, my kids that when they went off to college, one of the first things I did was do a medical financial power of attorney and a, and a HIPAA release. Did they need trust? Absolutely not. Um, but you should have some these basic documents and then, you know, you get a little bit older and you have kids and maybe you have a house and some life insurance. I mean, the, the cost of going through probate is so much more than you would ever pay for a complete estate plan, not just a trust, but, you know, to, to get a trust, a will, powers of attorney, the whole package you can get, you know, most cases under two, three grand, you know, all over town. And uh, just to probate one house might be $10,000. So, I mean, it's just, it's crazy that people don't do these things. Yeah, even if you don't go the trust route, but you look at some of the things that, regardless of assets, that you really need in place durable powers for medical, for financial decisions. I mean, I, maybe you can share with us a, a story of what happens when somebody doesn't have those basic documents in place and becomes incapacitated. How hard is it for decisions to be made, for a procedure to be done, or, or you know, things to go a certain way, or accounts to be handled without those documents oh, in place? Being, yeah, if I were to walk out of the studio here tonight and trip on the curb, hit my head, if I'm on a commission, well, well, actually, I have all these documents You're set up, set, Roman, sure. so we're actually good. But but let's assume I didn't have these documents. Um, if I hit my head and I have all my accounts in my name, they're frozen. You know, nobody can get in there unless your name is Paul Wakefield. And uh, what would happen is, you know, my bills are going to keep showing up just like they always do. And, you know, things need to be paid. And eventually someone's going to get keen to the fact that, geez, you know, we, we need to do something about this or the lights are going to go off, the heat's going to get shut off, the phone's not going to work. So someone will have to go to probate court. And, and probate court's not just for people who pass away. It's for people who conk their head and yeah, well, are okay, now, that, I was going to ask, are, are we speaking of... Uh, uh, Same place. Paul Wakefield still alive, but... Head, head conked and not yeah, there. All that's together. exactly right. John, John, death is one thing, and it has its own complexities, but it's it's final, right? Uh, disability, incapacity, that's a whole new world that we live in. With people living so much longer, many times folks will be around, they'll have a stroke or, a, or an illness, and they may not have all their capacities. That's why these documents are becoming even more important uh, right. for that situation of incapacity. So what would happen is if I'm out of commission, someone's got to go to the probate court and have someone appointed to manage my affairs because I don't have any documents picking someone on my own. They call that person a conservator. So now we're paying more court fees. We're hiring an attorney to go back and forth to court. Who knows who they're going to appoint? And whoever that person who is that's, a, that's appointed as conservator over my assets, that person's going to probably want to get paid. And... If I'm out of commission for a long time, they're going to be paid for a long time, and the court's going to be involved, and they're going to want, you know, accountings every year, and, you know, someone's going to have to do those accountings. And Meanwhile, we're still paying the electric bill. Meanwhile, and, all oh. those bills are still coming due. So um, it, it's tragic. It's awful. And, and you know, everybody really should have a medical and a financial power of attorney, but one of the things you got to be aware of these days is even though you might have a valid financial power of attorney that was executed the day you you hit yourself on the head 
a lot of the banks and the financial institutions don't want to honor them. Now, Michigan law doesn't force them to honor them. We have a law that authorizes powers of attorney. And, you know, if I die, my power of attorney dies with me. And if I revoke my power of attorney, it's no good anymore. But a lot of the institutions are very nervous about fraud. So as the document documents get older, or if it's one of these do-it-yourself documents where they're not very um, specific in what you're allowed to do, they often will just flat out say it's our policy not to honor them. So that really worries me if I don't have a trust, because if I have a trust, that will be honored if I'm disabled, because we just prove I'm disabled and my trustee can take over. But if the account's in the name of Paul Wakefield and no one else, and they don't honor that power of attorney, which I assume they won't in most cases, we're going to court, and that's very, very expensive. And, you know, Roman made a good point earlier. He mentioned how, uh, you know, doing something is better than nothing, and he mentioned using a, a transfer on death designation on accounts, which is better than nothing. But one thing he mentioned, I don't know if you guys picked it up, but he mentioned it's not so good on disability. Because if you think about it, if I have a TOD or a transfer on death designation, it's transfer on death, not transfer on disability. So even if I name all my family members on that, you know, beneficiary designation, they have zero access till I die. Well, I need my bills paid now when I'm sick. So there's no shortcut to doing things the right way. And it's funny, in my practice in 27 years now, we've seen a lot of different things. I've had people come in and to no fault of their own, they thought they were doing the right thing. Sometimes uh, somebody would come in and say, you know, I've named my oldest child as the beneficiary because I know he or she is going to then take those monies and distribute them properly to the other siblings. Boy, I got a personal Uh, story on that. I'll tell you, it doesn't always work out that way. The more there's involved, usually the less that will will occur. But even more importantly, you don't even realize the burden you've placed on that one individual because those assets get taxed in that person's name and then he or she has to explain to their siblings that, well, I had to take some money out to pay Uncle Sam then they may get accused for taking some out that didn't belong to them. And you, you create such a ruckus and and difficult situation. Which for can all be avoided. Simply avoided yeah. by doing things the right way. And maybe we'll talk about what the right way is in, in a couple of specific instances when we get back from this short break. You're listening to Money Wise with Roman Bashinsky. Our special guest is Paul Wakefield, estate planning attorney. As we continue here on FM 92.7 AM 1400, The Patriot. Now, back to Money Wise with Roman Baczynski. Welcome back. I'm Roman Baczynski, and we're spending this hour talking about leaving memories, not a mess. You know, folks, over the next 50 years, there's an estimated $45 trillion expected to pass through estates to heirs and charities, the largest wealth transfer in history. You know, that alone justifies the importance of having estate documents in place, such as a will, power of attorney for health care and finances, and possibly trusts. However, there's another important document that can help your heirs understand and carry out your wishes during a difficult time. It's a simple letter of instruction. It's not a legal document. It doesn't take the place of your legal documents. It's really just a simple letter of instruction that enables you to clarify or describe your preferences for a variety of issues, such as um, your funeral wishes may be one of those items. 
that letter can even talk about the importance of where you keep your financial documents, provide the names of financial advisors, attorneys, insurance agents, accountants, and name people to contact, perhaps in the event of your death. We've made a short list of possible items that you may want to include in that letter, such as the location of your will or important legal documents like birth certificates, marriage or divorce papers, Social Security, Medicare cards, deeds to real property, perhaps insurance coverages, companies, policy numbers, levels of coverage. It's been in the media recently how many insurance policies have gone unclaimed and lapsed because Nobody made a claim. Nobody knew that those policies existed. How about employee benefits, uh, amounts of benefits, um, things of that nature, bank accounts, financial paperwork, account numbers, maybe have a safety deposit box somewhere that someone isn't aware of, tax returns. How about this, financial logins and passwords for bills, investments, banking services. I'll be honest with you, I can't remember all of my own passwords and most companies require you to update them every 60, 90 days and you know, John, you probably have seen this too and Paul, every company's a little different. This one wants eight characters, two capital letters, an asterisk, an emoji and who knows what else. The other company says it's gotta be four letters long. If you're not updating these, if you can't get into your documents, how could a loved one? So that's not in place of or in lieu of the things that we've been talking about on the air, but I think it's a step in the right direction to help your loved ones deal with some very difficult situations at a very difficult time in their lives. Yeah, I agree, Roman. One of the things I do for my own plan and for my family and selfishly for myself, because I can't remember, um, I have three things I have and I do mine on an Excel spreadsheet but you can write it on a yellow pad um, I have an asset asset list so I, you know if someone were to look at my documents they see oh okay Paul had this checking account and this life insurance policy and so on and so forth and then it lists the account numbers the value um, is there any special contact person you know does it say Roman Baczynski next to that with a phone number so they can track down who to deal with um, my second thing I have it again on excel spreadsheet is a list of all my debts and and i don't just mean like you know debts that are outstanding i've got every credit card my um, homeowner's dues my uh, phone bill my electric everything and then i've spelled out is it auto pay is it pay by check or pay online and then i've got a few auto pay items so I have another column that says for the auto pays, does it hit my credit card and which one? Does it hit my checking account? Because, you know, what happens is, you know, someone passes away, the family members say, oh, my gosh, Paul had, you know, 17 checking accounts. He's crazy. You know, let's let's consolidate this down to one. So they cancel all these accounts, but they didn't realize that we had to auto pay for the business on one. We had to auto pay for the, you know, the car and another one, maybe an auto pay for a house, you know, house payment. And then... Uh, the, th the third thing I have is a, um, a password list, just like you were saying, Roman, because I can't remember my passwords. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to change every single one. And um, I haven't counted recently, but um, if I remember right, I had somewhere around 80, 80 passwords, um, and that was after deleting probably 15 of them. So, uh, I mean, if you just blank, you got to have a password these days. So it, it's good to have that for your own well-being and then for your family members. Well, let alone this letter of instruction, I, I can't clarify this more so. Nothing uh, bothers me more in a financial planning meeting, John, than when somebody hasn't brought all the members involved. You know, where it's one person or one spouse says, I handle everything, my spouse isn't interested in this, I do it all. 
it's not a legitimate answer. Everybody needs to be involved so they at least know and have, have a pulse in the game because things happen. Surprises happen. Accidents happen. The unexpected happens. And then when you're left in the dark, that's a very, very difficult situation to be in. So you really want to get involved with something as important as financial planning, estate planning, and at least be aware that you play a vital role in this. And to some of you younger members of the audience, uh, I think you're starting to hear, uh, if you've been listening to uh, any length uh, of our program tonight, you know now that there are things that you can do now to build habits. That, and that's what, you know, you and I have talked about this a zillion times, to build that habit early. The habits that, uh, for example, that you treat yourself like a bill and, 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 and things like that, that that you grow into to prevent that the kind of things you're talking about, because I know guys that literally, if something happened to their wife, they would have no clue yeah. how to pay the bills each month and, and, and what's coming due. And speaking of coming due, we got to take one more break. Hold that thought, and we'll be back. You're listening to Money Wise with Roman Baczynski, special guest Paul Wakefield, estate planning attorney here on FM 92.7, AM 1400, The Patriot. Now, back to Money Wise with Roman Baczynski. And we are talking about estate planning and we are talking about financial planning with Roman Baczynski, certified financial planner, Paul Wakefield, who is an estate planning attorney. And I think it's important to point out to people uh, at this point, Roman and Paul, we've been talking now roughly an hour. We have not mentioned stocks, bonds, mutual funds or anything, and a lot of people get the idea that that's what this show is about and that's what this whole financial planning thing is about, and basically that's one minuscule part over here in a corner somewhere compared to all the things that you need to build into this habit of financial and estate planning. Am I correct? Or You're incorrect? absolutely 100% right, John. This show isn't about chasing the market, chasing after investments. It's about planning, putting things in proper perspective, putting things in order so that perhaps that your outcome is much more predictable, um, and, and, and putting the averages on your side. That's what we're about making sure that you're putting everything together that that will give you the outcome that you're desiring to have at least know the facts and how to get there take a look at two or three different avenues see which one works best for you but it's not just about your portfolio and where you put your money paul uh if you don't mind i would and i don't think roman would mind could you uh, give out the your firm name again and uh and i you probably would prefer that people get to you through roman but yeah sure roman knows how to track me down but our, our firm is called wakefield sutherland and lubera we're uh my, my office is in troy on big beaver road and uh you can reach us at area code 248-457-9860 or you can go to our website, which is say no to probate.com. Say no to probate.com. And I've got another show that we do with uh, Dr. Manella. It says say no to spinal surgery. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to remember. <laughs> Easy to remember for sure. 
And uh, Roman, uh, we all, uh, you know, we get involved in so many subjects, and then we don't get to half of what we wanted to cover. Right. But, uh, Seems to always be the case. But here's the thing. I think you'll get a lot out of a one-on-one -on -one consultation. And one thing I will mention, because I know Paul's operation and what he does is much like mine, the meter's not running for you to come in and visit with either one of us and share your story with us. Uh, that initial meeting to sit down with us and share your situation and see if we can provide some common answers uh, and point you in the right direction has no charge to that meeting. So take advantage of that. I know a lot of attorneys, I hate to say this, but uh, you know the bill starts uh, running as soon as you walk in the door, but that's not the case with you, Paul, as far as I know. It's never no. been my experience. You're more than generous with your time. You, you, you sit down with people and you give them plenty of information. And you, of course, can uh, get to Paul through the number that he just gave you, or of course, you could also schedule that uh, consultation with Roman Baczynski, get that all-important second opinion. Even if you have a certified financial planner, this is completely confidential, and I think that uh, a lot of people sleep better after they come in for that hour-long conversation, which usually turns into two hours because Roman won't let you leave until you get all of your questions answered. This has been Money Wise with Roman Baczynski and our special guest estate planning attorney, Paul Wakefield, here on The Patriot, FM 92.7 AM 1400. We thank you very much for listening, and we thank you for sharing this time with us, and we'll see you next month. You've been listening to Money Wise with Roman Baczynski, heard every Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Here's Roman with a closing word. You've been listening to Money Wise. I'm Roman Baczynski, president of Oakwood Financial Network, a comprehensive financial services firm committed to helping qualified clients achieve long-term financial success by developing customized strategies to help grow, protect, and preserve your wealth. If you're like many of my clients, you've accumulated substantial assets through your career to help you prepare for this ultimate vacation called retirement. Now that you're getting closer to that goal, or perhaps already there, will your current approach give you the outcome that you desire? How do you know? Do you have a written plan that addresses all of your expenses, needs, lifestyle, and legacy goals? Have you factored in inflation? Have you properly prepared for not only your needs, but the needs of your family? Are you really looking at the big picture? One of the biggest mistakes that individuals make with their investment and retirement approach is chasing after investment returns with emotional purchases instead of sitting down and putting together a comprehensive written plan that addresses your entire situation. If you're a qualified individual getting closer to retirement and wondering if your current approach is going to get you the desired outcome, I invite you to contact me by calling my office tomorrow morning at 248-312-7217 and scheduling a complimentary, no-obligation, one-hour review of your current approach. The number again is 248-312-7217. Or send me an email at oakwoodfn at natplan.com. That's O-A-K-W-O-O-D-F-N at natplan.com. With any questions, thank you and enjoy the rest of your evening. MoneyWise is sponsored by Oakwood Financial Network. Securities and advisory services offered through National Planning Corporation, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Oakwood Financial Network and National Planning Corporation are separate and unaffiliated companies.